Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by my best running friend, Molly Williams. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so we did not run together this morning, Molly. No, we did not. You were doing your speed work and you like to do that by yourself so that I don't drag you down. I don't grab your shirt tails and say, no, 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 no. No, it, while it is true that I feel a need to do those workouts alone, it's not because I don't want you there. It's because, you know, I mean, you know why you're joking. Right or do you, well, that yeah, I yeah. think you don't want me yeah. slowing you down. Yeah, I, yeah. no, it is well, not. And, that. and you need to practice your mental toughness and your game and get in your head. I mean, yeah. all those reasons. That, I, that's the ticket. Yeah, that's yeah, the ticket. Because absolutely. when I so to back up a tiny bit, uh, so I'm training for this 10k, which is on the evening of July 9th, and it is the twilight run up in Vancouver, Washington, just across the mighty Columbia from Portland, and um. It is that now I have these workouts that typically Saturday is a particularly challenging workout and Wednesdays typically are um, uh, uh, very tough repeats or challenging repeats really make you stand up and take notice of them. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is make sure that I'm doing those workouts at my pace and also more importantly than that for me is getting the drive from inside me, not just being like, Oh, I want to keep up with Molly or, or, oh, I'll just run the same pace Molly is, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to know because, you know, you like, could do. yeah, because also, because let's say you're doing, you know, five of something or four of something, there can be ones that, you know, that they're not all at the same pace. And so if, if you're tired on number two, but I'm feeling really good, you know, am I supposed to then only stay at your pace that you feel comfortable on that? Or am I pushing? And then I'm like, Hey, catch up. And then the next one, you're, you're totally out in front of me. And I'm like, Oh, I suck. I can't keep up with Molly. So I just really need to get my head in my game and have it be my pace. And gosh, I sound like my, 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 but, um, that's your race. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think you're doing the right thing. And we run those more relaxed runs together and we have done some speed work together, but not quite the same intensity. Exactly. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So I certainly miss you. And I ran into um, my pal from long ago. I used to work with her, Deb. And she first thing she said to me was, you're alone. Where's Molly? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I think I had this like, I'm lonely look on my face. <laughs> I was running a different part of Portland. Yeah. So where did you run this morning? I did up on our street of our street of speed going, uh, going, yeah. yes, the that's aptly it. named going street. <laughs> right. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so I, I figure that that's where you're doing your workout. So I pick a different route. Nice. So, so that's very thoughtful. Of yeah. You. So going is a, a bike route. It's called a greenway, right? Yeah. Right. Greenway. Uh, so cars can go down it, but it's, it's a bike boulevard so that you get a lot of bike traffic. So there's a lot of change there. It's also flat, but so you've had a good luck finding change there. I have. Yeah. So I decided that I would run on Tillamook, which is another bike boulevard greenway thing to see Uh if I could find any change. Uh And I didn't find any change, but 
as I um, swung around, I was I went I went uh, west on Tillamook, and then I came back east on Tillamook, and then I swung around a uh, Beverly Cleary. Oh, quarter. Nice. Yeah. You have some good luck over there. I should say I Beverly Cleary is a uh, um, middle school. Yeah, K through eighth grade. Yeah, oh, school. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you call that type of school, but uh, elementary slash middle school, but yeah. um, a K eight school. And um, because you found a quarter, it's right near Grant Park, and you found a quarter over in I Grant did. Park the other day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, so yes, and going is that street that Krista, who was on the show when we talked about found change, she oftentimes finds money there. But, and I should say that by us saying that it's a bikeway or a greenway, it actually has painted on the pavement, um, a bike symbol so that people know that that that's kind of designated, like typically means I think that there's probably less traffic, that -hmm. it's somewhat flat. And also then it means that. Um, all the cross streets are typically have stop signs. But, yeah. So but the there's, I mean, on going. big streets, you know, so um, the traffic ongoing. But it means that you can run un. Unimp- I mean, I I guess I look both ways as I'm going through those intersections. Oh, especially in the morning with people going to work. Yeah. 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 So that, um, but it you don't have to worry so much about it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to think, oh, I got to slow down because I got a stop sign coming up. So, yeah. So that is where I headed. And, um, so as long as we're talking about found change, so then I pass by one of the pennies that I have seen that's paved into the street, and I now keep notes of those in my phone, because I'm going to take the kids, the twins, to, to chip them out of the street, and then I, um, ended up having to have, I needed to add on a little distance, because I was supposed to run for an hour, and I realized I'd get home before that, so I headed on a street that typically don't go on I went west from um, Irving Park I went on Fargo Mm. and um, and I know these names mean nothing to anyone who doesn't Portland I'm sorry but um, they're paved into the street I think I shouldn't have told anyone this um, they uh, is I think a dollar coin well what yeah well what (laughs) (laughs) where's that again Sarah oh I'll be seeing you a little bit Um, it is, the thing is, I, so I didn't bend down too close. I did take a picture of it, but the picture didn't turn out too clearly. Um, the thing is, it's kind of goldish in color and I'm not sure they ever made dollar coins. I'm, I'm not implying oh, yeah. it's gold. No, the Sacagawea one was the goldish. That's what I think. So yeah. I think it's the backside of that. It's a Kaguya. How yeah. do we say it now? Um, here, how, how you say it? Um, <laughs> the, uh, here in Oregon, people say Sacagawea. Sacagawea. Because coming from the East Coast, I would say Sacagawea and people would be like, what are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. And um, I def, because as I think I mentioned the show, my um, standby Halloween costume is a Native American dress. And so when people would say, oh, what are you? And I'd be like, oh, I'm Sacagawea. And they're like, mm, uh-huh, Sacagawea. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, so the workout. Wasn't w- she 13? <laughs> I suspect you're quoting some TV show. No, I'm, I'm not. I thought maybe Deadwood. Sensing, I was sensing no. you're a lover of Deadwood uh, <laughs> and Tim Oliphant. Um, so, um, but yeah, the workout we had to do this morning was definitely challenging. It was um, two times 130 on, 130 off, four times one minute on, one minute off, four times 30 seconds on, four, 30 seconds off, and then four times 15 seconds on. Um, 15 seconds off with the on being uh, rate of perceived exertion six slash seven and the quote unquote off being rate of perceived five. And that Bree said, Oh, it should be about half marathon pace or slightly faster. So it was not off by any means, mm-hmm. but, um, and you were able to hit all that. I was, That's I was, great. I was, um, I, yeah, I just, when I started out, I felt really kind of, 
I didn't feel plotty, but I felt like, oh, it's going to be tough to go faster. And tried to get my head in the game and think just because I feel that way when I first set out doesn't mean I'm going to feel that way at 10 minutes in or 20 minutes in and 20 minutes in was when we we're supposed to start. We, me, and then you down on Tillamook. <laughs> and, uh, um, so I switched from a podcast to music right before that 20 minutes was up. And I tell you, when I started that first 1.30, boom, it was just like a switch got flipped. It was amazing. I don't know where it came from. Like, I don't know what happened, but, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with how it went, but I was, uh, I'm, you mentioned before this, that it did not, the workout did not go well for you. Tell a little bit about that. No, it didn't. Uh, and I'll get into that in a minute. But when you, uh, when you started the workout, uh, did you, how did you hit that first, your first pace where you pretty much on target? You know, you so, said it right. felt hard, but were, were you getting, it was supposed to be like half marathon effort. Did you feel like you Oh, so you're saying when I first had to do that first 130 on, um, it just, honestly, it was as sudden that I felt good and fast as I almost didn't feel like myself. It went, Mm -hmm. it, the switch was so dramatic. And that was when you had to do the on part, the on part, the, so rate of perceived exertion, six, seven, you stepped back to the off part where, were you able to maintain, you didn't have any trouble maintaining that. You know, I'm kind of shocked. Like, and I actually, I think I did probably all of them a little too fast. That's what I'm wondering. That I, my, so, so for me, rate of perceived exertion, like I said, is half marathon or a tiny bit faster. And these days, probably if I were to go out and do a half marathon, my pace would be 855 to 905 on a flat course. We know from February's race that I can certainly go slower than that (laughs) on a hilly course. Um, And so, um, I, the occasionally when I would look down, I mean, I was going eight twenty five, eight thirty, Yeah. And then, um, and that was your off pace. That was my off pace. And then your uh-huh. on pace, your, I didn't look down at that too, too often, but it but was, it was faster. Seven thirty five. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my workout did not go well. Uh, it is unfortunately is often the case when I'm not with you. I, mm-hmm. I sit around the house and I dither. Mm-hmm. I, so I you did, are a champion ditherer. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did that in, in classic form and, and uh, then I got out there and, and so that's Molly that, complaining. That was 20 minutes of, <laughs> and then, so got to the, the workout part and then I started out too fast, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, and then, so that was like the off and then I got to the on and I, I got through the first one and then I got back down to the off and I, I slowed down and then I lost track of the time. Oh God, yeah. Cause you specialize in that too. <laughs> yeah. And then I just was frustrated and tired. And so then I just, I just stopped. I just stopped. And I just said, I wow. just need to collect myself. I just uh-huh. need to start this over again, cool down and I started again and oh, like uh, how long did you stop? And so oh, did you walk or did you? Yeah, no, I walked like three or four minutes. Oh, uh-huh. I just stopped. I was like, mm-hmm. I just need to get my head back in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, we, so anyway, so I did that and then I got started again and again, got just fatigued Oh, and all right, stop again. I think stopped less time that time and like, all right. And I think I was I was down to like one more minute on, one more minute or two more minutes on, two more minutes off, and then the shorter sections. Mm. So I hadn't even gotten through mm. the the other part of it very successfully. And so 
But I got through the last of it, mm-hmm. and I was exhausted. Oh, uh-huh. I mean, I was completely out of breath. I did the last 15 seconds, and I was like, done. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. then walked down to the corner and then slowly jogged the rest of the way home. So, uh-huh. so not only was it just mentally really tough, physically tough, mm-hmm. I just didn't have any stamina today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now, in my defense, mm-hmm. uh, I'm an old lady, but aside from that defense... Uh, I did do, you know, three pretty hard bike rides in the last three weekends. You certainly have. So, yeah. you know, I, I decided I just need to give myself a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did you, were you listening to music? Initially, and I was so frustrated. I just, oh. I just decided. F it. F the music. I, I couldn't even concentrate. I, nothing. I'm like, just no music. I'm just going to go out here and do it. I finished up on the track and that, oh. that was easier for for me mentally mm, uh, mm-hmm. to, to get it done. But no, it was, it was miserable. It was miserable. Oh. Came limping home, licking my wounds. Uh, <laughs> kitchen's a mess. <laughs> All my children are crazy. <laughs> my husband's insane. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm sorry. It's gray. It's cold. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I'm still old. I'm getting older. <laughs> By the minute. Earthquakes are coming. <laughs> You need uh, you need Mary Sunshine uh, running by your side, Molly. <laughs> I'm going to turn it around, though. I'm going to turn it around. Hey, but let's talk about something positive that's been going See, this on. This is what happens when I run with Sarah. I I go down, I spiral down. She just ignores me and changes the subject, which tends to work. <laughs> so I'm going to do that now. This is why I need a friend. <laughs> I'm going to do that now. We have been having great fun for the last two Sundays, swimming. Oh, yeah, that has been nice. It has been very no nice. Sharks. No sharks. No sturgeon. No. No. no killer sturgeon. Um, And so that we have returned to... It's the misnamed because it's called Salmon Creek, but we are not swimming in a creek. But it's Kleinline Pond. Oh, right. Okay, I could not remember that. Salmon the, Creek. I could not remember that Park. it had a name. Okay. So it's a dammed up pond. I think that, I mean, even though we see the creek run by it, the creek must fill it up and right, right. sluice out the other end. Because now, oh, that was a good word, sluice. I like that. <laughs> um, because we have now explored the area a little bit more because now sometimes we do, um, we bring yoga mats and we do strength training uh, on the banks of mm-hmm. Kleinline Pond. Yeah. And so that the first time we did that, we um, set up our mats down on one side of it and realized that there's a whole another kind of pond, but it's all very scum filled. and There that, were turtles. And yeah. Oh, that's a even a different one. That was the one we oh, ran yeah. past that on Sunday. Remember the first one? I don't. I don't know the orientation of it. Is just to the, to my mind, to the left of the pond. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then when I on Sunday we had to run for an hour and ten minutes after swimming for forty minutes, and I went up that one little bit, and there were actually some rapids up on that end of Salmon Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, but it's um, it's in Vancouver. It's in the same town where I'm on city where I'm going to be racing on the ninth and. It is just a lovely, clean pond, and the water I find a very pleasant shade of green without being without having any hint of algae. Um, you know, like sometimes yeah. when, you, when sometimes when you tell at least being from the East Coast when you say, "Oh, the pond's green," you think, "Oh, it's got stuff floating in it," and it does not have. You can't see particulates floating in it. Um, yeah. Well, uh, last Sunday when we were there, <clears throat> we ran together after the swim, and then I didn't do the last 10 minutes of our run together because I was hot and tired because I'm old and I'm fat. 
<laughs> that was hot. And it was tired. Watch it. She's getting I out know. the... <laughs> oh. So anyway, while I was waiting for you, I went to go talk to uh, the the woman at the, the check-in. Because um, mm-hmm. when we get there, she's not there. And as we're leaving, she's there. And I always wonder, well, what is she telling telling people, you know, that I don't know, like, you know, there's a shark at that There's pond. a shark at don't, the don't go swing. So I went over there and chatted with her. And uh, and she said, she said, oh, yeah, it's a nice little pond. She said, I wish it was cleaner. <sighs> I know. I'm just telling you this now. <laughs> oh, and I said, no. oh, she's like, yeah. She says, I guess it's just because it's so close to the freeway. And I didn't go into like why she didn't think it was that clean. I think I, mean, I don't even want to know. It looks clean. I go home oh. and take a shower. How bad can it be? Yeah, because on, on occasion, I because we swam there pretty much weekly last summer after my boot came off. And there were times that I didn't take a shower when I got home. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, I glow in the dark, but other than that, it's fine. Um, and um, there is a part of me that wonders whether, like, there's the wreck of a car that's gone off the highway or something. Because it, it's kind of like an elevated... Not, it's not a highway, it's just a, a road. I guess exhaust maybe could settle down in there. But no. Oh, I just, find, I just find the green color so utterly enchanting. And, you know, I swim out deeper than you do. And it gets deep quickly. It's 14 feet. Does the green change? It's just a very pleasant, like when I need to find my happy place and calm down and go to sleep, particularly, that's what I think of. Mm. I think of that green color. That's nice. And the feeling I have when I'm in that green color. So uh, that sounded mighty flaky, didn't it? Um, so um, so anyway, so back to the change that I found. I will. Mm. Uh, I have told John about it. Uh, and he and I, so he's at... Um, drama camp this week um theater camp i should say drama sounds like he goes and you know quibbles with with girlfriends or something but um so i told him that i know where two embedded pennies are and now this dollar coin and we're going back with our screwdriver and our hammer and we're going to get them out of the road and i'm going to include it in my found while running money no yeah mm -hmm. because i found it while running i just didn't claim it while running yeah all right right into facebook (laughs) (laughs) let us know what you think So where where are you with your money? Um, well, I I haven't. I've June has not been as fruitful as May. In May, I don't think I told you I found two dollars and forty three cents <gasps> total. Yeah, I mean you're still you're finding quarters. Yeah, woman. You're, but you still find more. Yeah. So um, I just found a mere penny today, and I do have to say I I found it during an on period, and I I said out loud, "Sorry, Bree," and I. <laughs> <laughs> I did stop the watch, so it didn't count toward the overall time. So talent. Started April back. was two two dollars. Uh, May was two forty three. May, May, oh my goodness. Yeah, because uh-huh. May was when I was finding money, sincerely, all but about two or three runs. So yeah. I I found ninety nine cents so far in June. Oh, which look is at that! One of my best months. Yeah, well, two quarters will do that for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my thing is though, for John's camp, it's over in a part of town where there's not a parking that's at a. It's at Northwest Children's Theater, and there's no parking lot there. And so you have to park on the street. So you have to pay to park, even though, you know, I'm just running in and picking him up. But I'm like, oh, that's when the meter maid will come by. So I'm, each time I drop him off or pick him up, I put 40 cents in the meter because that's the minimum you can do. And, like, I just throw that in there like no biggie. Whereas if I found 40 cents, I'd be like, whoa, 40 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized that it's not a lot of money. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> so anyway all right well um you having um a less than stellar workout and and kind of the approach to it all um is a fitting intro to today's topic 
which is mental toughness. And our guest is the prolific author, Matt Fitzgerald. Matt is the author of more than 20 books, including How Bad Do You Want It? Mastering the Psychology of Mind Over Muscle and the best-selling Racing Weight. In addition to writing books and magazine articles, Matt is a coach and sports nutritionist and a vanquisher of the 2016 Boston Marathon, where I finally got to meet Matt in person. But before we start chatting up Matt, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Matt, welcome to another Mother Runner. We're delighted you're joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Matt. So Sarah has already spilled the beans that you ran Boston this year. Tell us more about your running background. Yeah. So um, I got the running thing from my dad, uh, who uh, ran his first Boston Marathon in 1983 as a bandit. That's that's a scandalous notion now. But back then, about two out of every three people who ran Boston were were bandits. And no, no, two out of three. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just uh, the sports changed a lot. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, my, I have two brothers, and uh, the three of us all ran the last mile uh, with my dad, crossed the Boston Marathon finish line. You can imagine like what a life-changing ex- experience that was. Um, and so the very next day at the breakfast table, my older brother Josh and I both announced that we were going to start running, too. Um, and here I am, 34 years later, still running. That's great. So, and now also paint a more complete picture of your professional background for us. I mainly know you as a guy who cranks out a lot of books on super intriguing topics that usually relate to running. Yeah. So I got the writing thing from my dad as well. Um, he is a writer. He, he was a writer when I was growing up. So I had the advantage of knowing that one could actually do that uh, as, a, as a career. Um, and I, I caught the writing bug when, even before I got interested in, in running, um, I didn't necessarily intend to put the two together, but, um, you know, when you have parallel passions that it, 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 it can work out that way mm-hmm. and it did. So, uh, I've been really writing about endurance sports primarily since, uh, 1995. Nice. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book amongst the ones you've written? I do. Um, Iron War is my personal favorite. Um, it, it tells the story of um, the uh, rivalry back in the 1980s between the two legendary pioneering triathletes, uh, Dave Scott and Mark Allen, kind of a Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett Lloyd type of thing. And it all their rivalry culminated in a race that is known as Iron War, which in, in my view is the single great, greatest race ever run. It's just, it's a rich story, very rich personalities, a lot of layers to it. Mm, nice. Where is that race run? That is, that, that was the Ironman world championship. So, you know, it, it, each, Kona. each year, these, oh, exactly. The, each year, these two guys would have, you know, kind of have a showdown there. Um, and it was very one-sided. Uh, Dave Scott was the man, literally that was his nickname, the man. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one <laughs> yeah and and mark was a few years younger he was uh you know he beat dave everywhere else but but i you know iron man was the that was the one that mattered and uh mark just could not crack that nut um 
each year he would just show up thinking it was his time for a coronation and he'd get spanked again. Um, um, but then, you know, well, I don't, I don't spoil it. Yeah, don't word. spoil it. No spoilers. <laughs> yes. Read the book, right? <laughs> <sighs> okay, so let's dive into how bad do you want it? And mental toughness is a topic that fascinates me. And I also know from personal experience, it's a difficult subject to write about. Um, Exhibit A, I wrote the mental toughness chapter in Run Like a Mother. And it was the chapter that went through the most edits. I believe the final version was number 12. Um, So describe your approach to gals who haven't read the book and tell us why you chose to dive into it like you did. Yeah, so it is, it's a subject that's been uh, fascinating to me since uh, my very first endurance race, uh, which is like a one mile field day race at elementary school when I was in the fifth grade. Um, I won that race, but what, what I remembered about it was I felt the reason I won was not that necessarily that I was faster or the skinniest, but that I was willing to suffer. It was just this whole different kind of suffering than I'd ever experienced. You know, kids love to run, but they sprint to the next mailbox and that's it. Um, and so when you try to, you know, run fast and then keep running that you, you just experience things that, um, you know, just you, you never knew were behind the veil. Um, but so my sense was that endurance uh, success in endurance sports, improvement in endurance sports was really a mental thing first. Um, and then, you know, fast forward quarter of a century and exercise scientists are kind of finally realizing you know, that that's actually really true. So there's this, this new model of, of the, the psychology of endurance sports called the psychobiological model. It's a mouthful. Um, but basically, it's just based on, you know, finally, we're able to actually sort of look inside the brain and see what it's doing uh, during endurance exercise. And, and sure enough, you know, they're finding that it's really running the show and that our, our primary limiters, the ones we, we most directly encounter as as runners, um, our psychological limits. We're, we're mostly limited by our tolerance for suffer, suffering versus VO2 max or or stuff like that. Um, so it's cool science. I, I, I'm into it, but it is, as you as suggested, it's hard to write about that kind of stuff. So in my book, I chose to deliver it in a sort of narrative format. Um, so each chapter tells a story about sort of a household name endurance athlete who had to overcome some kind of big mental barrier, you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, a major uh, setback or a dark night of the soul as, a, as an athlete. And these, these athletes in, in those stories of overcoming exemplify what mental fitness really is. And they make the science more concrete and easy to digest for the poets in the room. Yeah, right. I, I, I really have enjoyed the book and I really like the stories. I especially like your story, Matt, and how you talk about uh, you kind of choking as a young athlete and then getting over that as an adult athlete. Um, you do focus a lot on the fear of suffering in races. Do you feel like that's what looms over the heads of most runners in races or in tough workouts? Um, I would say that it's probably co-equal with fear of failure. It's definitely fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, in my experience, um, for me, it was more the fear of suffering. Um, but there are definitely athletes out there for whom they don't really pro- problematize the suffering aspect of the sport the way I do. And it, for them, it, it's really they, they worry more about, um, you know, failing to achieve their goals or, you know, being judged negatively by, you know, the athletes around them who you know perform better, things like that. Hold on, Matt. If 
problematized? Do you mean that the, they're the people who standing on that starting line? They don't think, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Exactly. They're just like, exactly. okay. Yep. Okay. I think I interrupted you though. Uh, no, I, I was, I was done. Okay. All right. So over the weekend, I was at a friend's house and both of her teenagers are rowers and on their bulletin board, um, was this printout from their coach that read mental toughness is the ability to consistently perform at the upper range of your talent and skill, regardless of competitive circumstances. What do you think of that definition? How do you define mental toughness? You know, actually a uh, great question. And, 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 uh, it gives me the opportunity to say that I, I actually prefer the term mental fitness, uh, All right. versus toughness, because I, I think toughness is a big part of mental fitness, but um, if you use that word toughness, it sort of, it can convey the idea that it's all about toughness. And, you know, as you've seen from reading my book, sometimes you actually, you know, sometimes caution is the better part of valor, valor and athletes need to, uh, for example, uh, a mentally fit athlete is one who's really having a lot of fun in the sport and fun isn't tough. You know what I mean? Like sometimes mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if, if, if you get, you know, cause you see these athletes, they'll, they'll, they'll get too focused on, um, I need to be tough. I need to hurt. I need to push. I need to press. And that's, you do need to do those things, but you don't need to do them all the time. You also need to have a blast <laughs> as an athlete. You also need to love what you're doing. And you should also feel good most of the time. You're not training right um, if you don't feel good most of the time uh, as any kind of endurance athlete in your training. My coach always tells me that she she says that uh, she thinks she owes a lot of my success to or successes in quotation marks um, <laughs> to my positive attitude and kind of the joy I bring to my workouts. And um, I believed her. But hearing you explain that sort of shed extra light on what it is exactly that she means. Yeah. So. Well, it's a false dichotomy, like working hard or having fun. Like, which do I choose? You actually never work harder than you do when you are having fun because mm-hmm. that, that's what motivates you to invest yourself in hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had uh, a, oh, a bad workout today, let's say that. And I struggle with how much is it that my body's tired, you know, I've got family issues versus am I just being wimpy? And then I just get myself into a lot of negative talk. Well, I should have tried harder. You know, what am I even doing out here? And then it just goes downhill from there. Do you, as an endurance athlete, ever get into that mindset? And how do you bring yourself out of it? Yeah, uh, of, of course I do. I, th- I think we, we all do. Um, and I think as, as a general strategy, the way to avoid that pitfall as much as any human can is to cultivate sort of a better self or a coach within. It's just the version of you that understands the real principles um, and has and maintains, you know, uh, big, a big picture perspective. So mm-hmm. anytime I catch myself, you know, just beating myself up after a bad workout or, you know, sort of losing perspective in any way that's, you know, demoralizing or, or what have you, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of step back from myself back into that internal coach role or the, or the, or the better me you know, the, the one who's learned all the lessons and, and mm-hmm. really, truly, you know, does have some acquired wisdom over just time in the sport and, you know, and will re- just remind me. So it's, you know, one me reminding the other. It's like bad workouts are part of the sport. Whoever's going to win the New York City Marathon this year had a bunch of bad workouts on the way. So, you know, why, why shouldn't you? 
Well, that's very good advice. Did you feel like you had to cultivate that or did, did that come naturally to you? Um, oh, I definitely had to cultivate it because, you know, as you know, from reading my story in the mm-hmm. book, I was a major head case at, at, at one point. I mean, I was, yeah, it's I, really interesting how you turned it around. Yeah. And, and, and the way, you know, for anyone who, who, for any runner who feels like, okay, the, the mental game is my weakness. It could be for the same reason that it was for me or for a completely different reason. If that's, if that's true for you, you know, if, you're, if you look at yourself in the mirror and say, the thing that's holding me back as a runner more than anything else is psychology, the, at the highest level, the way to start to overcome that is to name that problem as your problem and to name overcoming it as, as your, your primary objective. And that's, that's the strategy I use to kind of you know, begin to bootstrap my way um, out of being a head case and, and, and becoming a mentally strong runner. So, you know, I, I would start to go to races and my goal was no longer to hit a certain time or to finish in a certain place in my age group. It was to leave it all out there. And so I would, I, after finishing a race, I would just judge my performance entirely based on, um, on how I performed psychologically. And, you know, the, the time and place really didn't matter. And by, by just sort of being very, having real clarity about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to make progress uh, as a runner, that was key. So anyone who, who's trying to, you know, execute the same kind of journey, that, that's what you want to do is just say, this is my goal to become a mentally fitter athlete. This is what's holding me back and I'm going to work on it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea of your perceived effort in the race as part of your goal. Right. I think that's that's excellent. Yeah, it's scary to leave it all out there. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's. I mean, it, we've picked a tough sport. <laughs> yeah, we have because uh, yeah, over such a long period of time. I mean, especially for a slower runner, you know, I'm out there for over four hours. That's a long time to maintain some mental toughness. I think uh, some ways I think it's easier for the elite runners are only out there for. You know, two hours. I mean, that's wrong, right? But <laughs> no, but you, you'll you'll hear a lot of them say that. You know, yeah. a lot of elite athletes will say exactly that. It's like, I am not as tough as the person who takes twice as long to get to the finish line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm training for a 10K, my first one in about seven years. And this sentence from your book really jumped out at me, and not just because it was italicized. Um, one cannot improve as an endurance athlete except by changing one's relationship with perception of effort. So talk to us about that concept and how one can apply it in training. Right. So, so the, the essence of this psychobiological model is the idea that perception of effort or how, how hard running feels is the limit that we directly encounter. Obviously, we have physical limits. But anytime you run to the point of exhaustion, you actually have reserve physical capacity. You're just not able to tap, tap into it because you've already reached your limit for you know, perceived effort or just you know, how, how much suffering you, you can tolerate. Um, so you know, the key to improvement is to sort of narrow the gap between your, the limit of your tolerance for, for uh, perceived effort and your actual true physical limit. You'll never get all the way there. Uh, but if you can compress that gap, uh, you will perform better. Um, also, you can actually um, you can also improve by increasing the amount of output you get at any level of perceived effort. And for example, 
after 12 weeks of training, a 10 minute mile can feel a lot easier than a 10 minute mm-hmm. mile used to feel. So at that point, you're, you're, you're still also changing your relationship to perceived effort and improving in that way. But it's just because what used to feel hard feels easier. So those are the two ways you can, you can, you can find the wherewithal to actually tolerate a greater level of perceived effort. Or two, you can also experience less effort at, at any given you know, pace or, or mm-hmm. you know, output level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so this goes along with just what you've been talking about. Jen uh, from Facebook writes in, uh, where to start? She says, I feel I have very, very little mental toughness. What can I do to ignite that spark and push my limits to do more than is only comfortable? And I think you've addressed uh, a lot of that. But what I think she might be asking and what I'm also asking is, if you feel you don't have much mental toughness, how do you start to cultivate that mental toughness? And, you know, are there any concrete things like journaling? Um, I like your your timed uh, perception uh, of effort. Uh, are there anything else that you can think of, like the baby steps at the beginning? Yeah, well, you know, one, one thing, and this is sort of going the opposite direction, but really what I was trying to accomplish with my book is, uh, is nothing terribly concrete, but actually to reframe the project at hand, to, to give people a whole new perspective on what they're actually trying to do as runners or, or as endurance athletes. And I think it's, um, you know, the mind is powerful. So actually what your sport means to you and what improvement or progress means to you will have a huge impact on how much you actually do, do improve. So, so my first answer to the question is read my book because, <laughs> yeah. because it, it, does, it, it, it is a great way to start. You have to do some concrete things, obviously, um, but it really helps to just have like a, just a lens on, on like this is what the psychology of, of running is all about. And, um, you know, it's, just, it's now something that I'm very consciously, uh, you know, including in, in my recipe for, you know, for moving forward as a runner. So I just, you know, just to embrace this, this, this new model, um, I think is, is really helpful. The feedback I'm getting from runners, you know, and other athletes is that, is that sort of, you know, shift in perspective is, is a great starting point in itself. From there, like, uh, there are lots of, you know, specific, you know, uh, skills or techniques that, that you can bring to bear. Um, and also I think a great starting point for each individual athlete is with what their salient problem is. Like what is the number one hurdle for you? Is it, you know, is it low self-esteem? Is it fear of suffering? Is mm-hmm. it, um, you know, uh, laziness or something, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever's, whatever's standing out as the number one thing holding you back, you know, that that's also helpful as a way to, to get started. Mm-hmm. Did you ever use a, uh, a coach, you know, um, what do they call him? You know, like mental toughness coach. A sports coach. There, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> do you ever do you ever do that? Sports psychology. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I haven't, and, and and to be honest, uh, I've had sort of again it goes into why I wrote this book. I've had sort of a dim view of this field of sports psychology mm-hmm. in general. Not not because all sports psychologists are are bad. They're um, most of them are good. It's just that. Previously, you know, with the, the way that exercise scientists used to look at at endurance performance, the idea was that pretty much it's all physical. It's like, you know, if you're born with a great aerobic capacity and you're super lean and naturally fast, those are the gifts that you need. And your brain just kind of goes along for the ride 
And, you know, in so much as psychology mattered, it was it was marginalized. It, it was, you know, psychologists were sort of not allowed to touch the physiological part and they had to content themselves with things like, you know, goal setting and, you know, visualization. And for me as an athlete myself and even as a coach, that, that just wasn't where it was at. To me, like the whole darn enchilada is psychology. Like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're working on your mental game every time you go out for a run. You're working on your mental game anytime you're just dealing with challenges in life outside of running. It's like there, there's no separation. And what's exciting to me about the psychobiological model, it's right in the name, you know, mm -hmm. psychobio. It sort of it removes that false partition between the psychological and, and the physiological and, and says, yeah, it's true. The whole enchilada is just all mixed together. Um, so that's I, I, I'm hoping, you know, I use the phrase, you know, new psychology of endurance performance throughout the book. And I'm sort of hoping to see that actually, you know, take place where you'll have more, you know, licensed sports psychologists who, who take a, you know, a kind of psychobiological perspective on the sport. And I think they'll be able to um, do a lot more for, for, for athletes in, in that capacity. And so it's not just athletic toughness. You're seeing this carry over into other parts of your life and other athletes' life, mental toughness and other aspects? Well, yeah, because, um, you know, th there's, a, there's an epigraph at the front of my book. I'm sure you saw it. It's a quote from a novel called uh, The Power of One by Bryce Courtenoy. Mm -hmm. And and the line is, uh, the mind is the athlete. And mm -hmm. that kind of says it all right there. The idea is that um, whatever whatever your personality is, those are your mental skills as an athlete. It's not like you, you know, flip on some switch, you know, when you start running and, and you know, that, you know, something comes on that's not there when you're not running. It's the, the same, the same mental strengths that help you succeed uh, in life or that hold you back in life uh, are the same, uh, you know, parts of your personality that are going to be strengths and weaknesses in, in workouts and on the race course. And I, you know, I, I give lots of examples in the book. What's cool about that actually is that there's no one single recipe for mental fitness. Just be, just as there's no, you know, every, we all have different personalities. We all have sort of a different formula for optimal mental fitness. So it's it's a matter of uh, using the parts of your personality that can help you as a runner, and sort of working around or working on the parts of your personality that that hold you back. So an example of something that might help you uh, is. Uh, Positivity, an example that came up. If you're naturally positive, you can you can sort of cultivate that and nurture it and, and make it an even greater strength. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, something like, you know, insecurity is going to be something you're going to need to work around or work on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue with some more questions that we got from the another Mother Runner crowd from our Facebook page. And uh, Kimberly in Wisconsin brought in another one of your books for her question. And she starts by saying, love all his books. Uh, just finished rereading 80 slash 20 running last week. I am incorporating many of the concepts from that book into my fall marathon training. I do have to admit that doing so much of my running at a slower pace has been an adjustment. While I used to distract my brain by focusing on my pace or splits, now I find my brain is bored just focused on keeping things going. Any tips on how I can use these slower runs to increase my mental toughness? Yeah, well, sounds like that's happening. Just uh, <laughs> if, if you're dealing with boredom, uh, you, you're actually that that's tougher than if you're not not bored. Um, but it, it's a process. You know, this is it's the single most common 
training mistake in all endurance sports is is pushing too hard on easy days and of course most days should be easy so it's it's very unnatural seeming it it it's it's almost like a paradox where you know actually going easier is harder uh because it's just you, you you've it, it's it's a habit you're you're trying to break a habit um and it's very difficult at first but it gets easier and easier and two a couple things make it especially easy over time one is you just start to feel better generally if you if you you know if you take that leap of faith and just restrain yourself and we're not talking about you have to walk instead of sprinting you know the, the typical runner is maybe you know 20 seconds per mile too fast on their easy runs so you know you're still moving but you're just you know slowing down sort of a, a, mod, a modest but crucial amount um, if you do that consistently over time you just start to feel a little better all the time because you're m- removing that almost invisible chronic burden of mild fatigue that you've been carrying with you from just going a little too hard day after day after day and feeling better feels better. So that sort of will get you to, to fall in love and embrace going a little bit slower. And then what you notice is that you start to perform better on those days when you are supposed to push yourself and particularly on race day, you know, if, if, if results, race results matter to you, then, then you're sold. And I've seen it again and again and again with, with athletes who've committed to that 80, 20 approach. Once they start to, you know, improve on the race course, there's no going back. Uh, so you just have to, you know, take that leap of faith and stick with it. You know, uh, just practice restraint uh, until you've made that transition and sort of come out the other side. Um, you won't be bored forever, I promise. And I'd like to say that I think there's the mantra right there. Feeling better feels better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's my pearl of wisdom. If I say nothing interesting for the rest of the interview, you've at least got that. Right. (laughs) Okay, Matt, Jody from Facebook asks a question that I bet a lot of runners can relate to. What are some of the tricks to keeping yourself present? I tend to start runs and races with uh, a positive attitude. Then suddenly my music isn't right. My shirt twists in a funny way. My nagging pain from long ago creeps up and it's over. My mind shifts into... I can't do it mode and I don't seem to be able to pull myself out of it. I I've been there. Yep. Uh, well, a couple things, uh, can help in that regard. One is, uh, going back to that sort of better self or internal coach. Um, and so, you know, when you feel stuck and I, I just heard, you know, I, I can't pull myself out of that. Um, yes, you can. Um, just, you know, just, Think of yourself as you know two two different yous, and one of them is infallible. One of one of them is the coach you who really does know how to get out of that um, because you've done it before. You've, you know, every runner has had some successes, and and the better you, the coach within, is built out of those successes and moments of overcoming and achievement. So just go to that that place inside yourself. We all do this. You know, I, I've been running forever. I've done a zillion races. Every race I run, I I have those those moments uh, when I'm you know. I, I stink and my music sucks and my shirt's all twisted and all, all that stuff. But that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll just sort of step back from myself in, into that other role. And yes, you have to maybe fake it a little bit and do the little engine that could thing and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, tell yourself you think you can when, when you know, most of you thinks you can't. But it really is helpful. Uh, there's actually you know, there's a study I cite in the book where uh, actually training in positive self-talk was used with um, a bunch of you know just recreational uh, types, 
uh, and they they significantly improve their performance over just a period of two weeks just by doing exactly that. It's you don't just let the the negative thoughts happen. You learn to catch them. You you learn to step back and realize that you're having those negative. That's step one, is to mm -hmm. not just have the thoughts, but to realize you're having the thoughts because then you have another option, and then you just put yourself into that other role um, and tell yourself you know you know just cancel whatever the negative message is and replace it with something. Uh, different and it, it doesn't have to be Pollyanna-ish. Uh, like you know, with me, because we're all different. For for me, when when I do that coaching within uh, type of thing during a race, I'll, I'll be very realistic. I won't lie to yourself because you can't you can't jump off a building and say I can fly and and then fly. You know, you need to tell yourself something that is is real but positive. Um, you know, to your to to the situation you're in. And just because you have a moment of weakness or failure doesn't mean the whole thing's over. In your stories, these racers come back all the time. You know, they have a, a bad moment and then they rally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the most successful uh, runners and other athletes aren't the ones who never fail. They're the ones who you know just dust themselves off and get back up. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you have bad moments, if you do fail, you're you're in good company, you know, so what, you know, what will distinguish you is, um, you're just not, not giving up at that point. Um, so, yeah. And in the, in the book it, that touches on something you talk about in the book, which is motivational intensity. And that section really spoke to me about, um, to me, I, I, when I was reading about that, I thought about an experience I had when I qualified for Boston at the Victoria marathon. And I was, um, about, uh, right near the halfway point. And I looked at my watch and I thought, okay, I could, you know, things could go either way here. I could either, um, squeak in if I keep at this intensity or I could dial it, you know, switch to even higher gear and press on the gas a little bit more. So, and I ended up for the first time ever in a marathon having a negative split. So that really kind of, um, the fact that I could see that my goal was still within my grasp helped me make a game plan right there midway. So could you talk about what motivational intensity is and then how it can affect outcome? Yeah. So this gets to the title of the book, how bad you want it. Um, you know, so motivation is, it's not, it's not again, like everything else, it's not the entirety of mental fitness, but it is a big piece of it. All else being equal, you will try harder and you will dip deeper into that reserve physical capacity that we all have left at the end of a race, the more motivated you are. And motivation is another one of those things that's highly personal. Um, you know, we're not all motivated by the same things. But as a general rule, you just want to, you know, if you, if you care about improving as a runner or just, you know, getting the most out of yourself as a runner, you'll want to use that tool. You, you'll want to find ways to enhance your, your motivation. You, you don't want to be, you don't want to be full gas with motivation all the time, but you, you want you know, you want to have moments where your your motivational level is higher than it's ever been, or as high as it could ever be, um, and that that comes from just being connecting to the reason you're a runner in the first place. So many people, you know, they fall in love with running, and then they sort of get away from you know wh why they they love running. And again, you, if you look at you know some of the 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 best examples of you know elite runners who've had very very long careers you know just been successful forever the you know the Joan Benoits those those types it's because that the passion the fire just stays lit in them because they never they never lose uh, that connection with with you know what motivates them to to strive as runners uh, so again you know uh, 
in all these examples, I feel like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could just bottle this and sell it? But, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but you can't. You have to do the work for yourself. I can't give you a list of five things that should motivate you because if they don't, you know, that doesn't get you anywhere. So the, it, it requires a little bit of introspection, you know. For, for me, you know, a, a big, again, just to make it concrete with an example, you know, I... I quit running actually at the end of high school. I was supposed to run in college, but I, I became, I, I lost my love for the sport because of the whole head case thing. Um, and so when I got back into it, a big thing that motivated me was when I quit running, I saw myself as a coward and I did not like that feeling. I wanted to see myself as a, you know, a strong person. So that really motivated me to, um, you know, to just have the second chapter of my life as an endurance athlete be very different from the first and, and it worked. So, you know, just sort of connecting with what motivated me and, uh, you know, my, my deepest values, what I, you know, the kind of person I wanted to be was powerfully motivating. So it's not going to be the same thing for everyone. I'm not suggesting it is, but, but that's what you want to do. That's the sort of work you want to do to, to stoke motivational intensity. And, and um, if I can ask a follow-up to what you're just saying there about you saying you wish you could bottle it, I I know that Molly and I sometimes feel that way after a really good, uh, you know, workout that we'll be like, oh, yeah, we that was so awesome. We got to, you know, let's do that again. Let's do that again. And, and trying to figure out what it was, I think, in that workout that made it great can then you know, help you find out what it is, like you were saying about realizing why it is you're running. And, and so to have some reflection on your workouts kind of immediately after, because that's when the bottling of it can happen. Exactly. I mean, a theme here that, you know, comes up every time I talk about this stuff is that there, there really is no substitute for experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that's sort of a bummer for beginners. <laughs> you know, it's just a fact, you know, but but, but beginners have certain advantages, too, because when you start at a low level of fitness, you know, you know, physically, you improve faster than you will ever be able to afterwards. But you don't have the experience that, that uh, is such a valuable asset um, um, in developing, you know, uh, the, the mental fitness. Um, but, you know, experience uh, isn't, isn't really measured in, in years or, or races or workouts because you can use experience or fail to use it. So just as you suggest... You want to not just have experiences, but use them. You know, so when you, whether you have a good workout or a bad one, or a success or a failure, you can use all of it. Uh, but again, it requires some activity on, on your part. We actually process the stuff, and you know, tuck away for future use the stuff that that is helpful. Yeah. Uh, so you talk about uh, angry resolve in the book, and I think that's, you know, you kind of got angry with yourself that you didn't have the mental fitness and that pushed you forward. And sometimes these competitors have really want to beat a certain person in the race. Uh, I've experienced that in other aspects of my life. I haven't really experienced it too much in, in running. Um, do you think that, uh, like, ha- having that, like looking for the angry resolve is, is helpful? Well, um, yes, uh, qualified, yes. Um, I mean, what we're really talking about is resilience. Um, r- resilience, I-, I refer to it in the book as the mother of all coping skills. So, you know, coping skills are sort of... <laughs> we like mothers. Uh-huh. Yes, I know this. <laughs> so, so, you know, coping skills are sort of the specific traits or, you know, mental abilities that you bring to bear as a runner uh, that, you know, that sort of serve you to, to achieve your goals. But behind all of those is resilience. And resilience is just not giving up when you fail. It's just uh, because if you give up, then you can't keep uh, gaining experience. You can't keep learning 
and improving. So, um, so you know, that's the one we all have to have. We, we, we can't get anywhere as runners without uh, resilience. And uh, well, if you look at you know, sort of the psychology of it, what, you know, what psychologists have learned about it is that partly it's innate. Some people just come out of the womb with, more, with you know, more, more resilience. But also, it, it, it is very much dependent on experience. Um, so the people who are most resilient tend to be people who, uh, in their formative years, experience a certain amount of psychological trauma, but not too much, which can kind of break a person, and not too little, which can turn you into a spoiled brat. So it's sort of, <laughs> you need to go through something. Mm-hmm. Um, what's cool about running is that, and, and just a, as a personal aside, I think one of the reasons I actually struggled mentally uh, as a teenage runner is that I sort of had an ideal childhood <laughs> and I, I may have, you know, I've been on, I may have been on the far left of the bell curve, you know, of, of, of trauma in my formative years. So I just, I hadn't gone through much. And so I didn't have a lot of resilience. The great thing about running and other endurance sports is that you can gain, you, you don't necessarily have to go through a bunch of stuff in your life and then bring that resilience, you know, back to running running itself can can make you resilient you know if you experience failure especially sort of repeated failure to achieve a goal um and but but you still stay in the game you know that doesn't break you and you don't give up that's where this sort of angry resolve can uh can can develop where you'll reach a point where and i I give examples of you know noteworthy athletes who got to this point in the book you know after so many failures you'll get to a point where it's time either to decide that you have indeed been broken or you get angry and you, you mm-hmm. fight back. So it's not about becoming an angry person. It's just, you know, anger is a very natural, you know, human emotion and you can use it. And sometimes it, it you know, it's just, it's just the tool you need to sort of, you know, get to the next level. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Matt, I feel we could talk to you all day, but uh, we got to wrap this up. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we'd love to have you as a guest on another time to talk about one of your many other books. Thanks. Yeah. You know, as you said, I'm always cranking them out. So uh, (laughs) I'll I'll give you another excuse to talk to me in the future. I'm sure. (laughs) Good, good. This Uh, has been great, Matt. I'm going to work on my inner coach and my resolve and my resilience. (laughs) I'm motivated. Thank you you both. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. So Molly, from what you said there at the end to Matt, it sounds like you are going to take away a lot of things from this interview and yeah, over, chew it over. I, I really am. I like the uh, the fact that he said, you know, it takes experience to, you know, develop that inner coach. And, you know, I think I, everybody just needs to give themselves a break sometimes, right? You know, like right now I'm in a mode of negative thinking and this was really motivating to get myself out of that mode of negative thinking, give myself a break. Yeah, I'm going to take a lot away from it. I really enjoyed the book. I, you know, I love the the comeback story. Don't we all love the comeback story? Oh, yeah. But uh, I think we all got it in us uh, to, you know, to do a little bit better, achieve more. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. He seems like a nice guy. Always so nice. Yeah. Always so nice. I really, really enjoyed uh, getting to hang out with him some at Boston, thanks to Highlands. And um, he mm-hmm. was one of the other Highlands runners. And what I was mean, his time? Do you remember? Oh, he had a phenomenal Boston. Yeah. And so, and he, he, we didn't even get, have time to go into it, but I mean that he really blew up at Boston the first time he was there. And so it was a true redemption story for him to go back and the heat did not hold him back. And I mean, he just 
blitzed that course. How old was you the first time you went? Was it was quite a while. Like there was mm-hmm. a long, long time. So I mean, this was his redemption. Oh yeah, there Austin? was at least a decade. Wow. I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. That's yeah. great. So well, now let's hear from Dimity about what the gals in the Train Like a Mother Club are up to. Hello, hello, it's Dimity here with your Train Like a Mother Club corner. If I sound a little weary, it's just because I have been standing poolside for what feels like the longest shift ever of timing, four hours of swim meet timing. Um, So, you know, I always feel like I've flown to India and back when I go to a swim meet. And when it's uh, timing at a swim meet, I feel like I've flown twice around the world and back. (laughs) So anyway, but that's not um, neither here nor there because I've got a great little story for, for you today in this corner from Leslie Hutchins, who is in the Train Like a Mother Heart Rate Marathon Challenge. She said, on Saturday's long run, I caught up on my podcast and listened to the Back of the Pack episode of AMR. I loved it. It's just what I needed on a slow run, but it made me think of a recent story that I thought I would share. My mom, who is amazing, by the way, ran her first marathon at 67. She decided to run another one after she turned 70. I'll save her the exact age to make sure it was not a fluke that she could do it. I'm not sure how many more fulls she'll do, so I decided to run it with her. We usually have a girls weekend every year and do a half marathon someplace fun, but we don't actually run together. For this marathon, I wanted to run stride for stride with her. She is a back of the pack runner and loves it. I am typically a middle of the pack runner and she warned me it's different at the back of the pack. My 13 year old son came with me to the race. He and my father rode their bikes along the course trying to catch us several times. Apparently my father stepped away from my son for a minute or two, which was right as my mom and I were approaching. My son started cheering as loud as he could when he saw us. Go, Grandma! A woman standing on the street next to him started getting upset and turned to him and rudely told him, just because someone is slow, you should not call them Grandma. This is my my son's version, by the way. My son tried to explain, but she would not have it. She kept stopping him, saying it was not nice. My son, who was trying to use his good manners, was getting frustrated. Finally, he got out, but she is my Grandma! My dad walked back up and made a comment about us going by and the lady backed off, looking a bit surprised. By the way, my badass mother was the oldest woman in the entire Philadelphia Marathon. She proudly shows off her award for winning her age group, which was just her. When she finished at close to the cutoff, the food was nearly gone, the vendors had packed up, and cones were being pulled off the course. But nothing could beat her smile. Thanks for sharing that story, Leslie, and here's to you running the Philadelphia Marathon when you are 70 plus and being a badass grandma runner. Thanks a lot, everybody. Hope you have a great week, and I will see you back here next week. I want to encourage you to join ACAST Plus, a subscription program that you join to support another mother runner for $2.99 a month and to have access to exclusive content as well as the complete back catalog of our shows. Exclusive content includes chapters of the audio version of our first book, Run Like a Mother, as well as other audio treats that will be perfect for entertaining you on your runs. Being an ACAST Plus member allows you to listen to the first 100 episodes of our show. While we want loyal and new mother runners to be able to find and enjoy our podcast, it's not free to make the show, and we can only cover so much of the cost with advertising and partnerships. We hope you'll understand and join us. Don't worry. Aside from the first 100 episodes, you'll still be able to enjoy our weekly podcast for free. That is not changing. 
Exclusive content in our back catalog of podcasts will only be available on the free ACAST app, so you've got to download it and listen there to support us. We think ACAST Plus will strengthen the Mother Runner community, and we're incredibly proud to be a part of this new program. If you're intrigued, download the free ACAST app, that's A-C-A-S-T, and search for Another Mother Runner, or go to acast.com slash anothermotherrunner, and thank you very much. And as you're out there honing your mental fitness, many happy miles. <laughs>